two lit chicks book bites julia and ed welcome to our wednesday book bite and we are joined again by the fabulous lindsay kelk whose name does not sound like a cat uh what was it that they said it's cat being sick no it does not sound like that at all. not even a all, bit so. <laughs> But um, yeah, if you want to know what we're talking about, you've got to go listen to the interview that we released Please. last Monday. So, uh, But we thought we'd bring Lindsay back to chat with her about her top writing advice. I mean, she's been in the business for over a decade. How, how long has it been now? God, so long. Um, <laughs> my first book was published in 2009. Um, wow. And I started writing sort of 2006, 2007. So it's been a whole minute. It has yeah. been a while. You've been around the block, as they say. <laughs> I mean, and so young, so young and fresh faced. It's like, how have I achieved this? I must have started when I was 14. I think that's oh, what happened here. <laughs> obviously, obviously. So tell us, what, what is your top writing advice for our listeners? Um, it's hard. It's hard. Uh, my, my writing advice is writing is hard. No, honestly, um, I've tried, I've spent my entire career and before my career trying to just absorb as much advice as possible. I did a writing dissertation. I was able to work with this incredible writer, um, Graham Joyce. Um, and the bulk of it seemed to be that you just have to do it. Um, yeah. And this is the advice I give the most to people. And it sounds facetious and it sounds like I'm just actively trying to avoid being helpful. But it is truly the one thing that I come back to over and over and over. I mean, I can go in endlessly and give you like little bits that I think will help make your writing sharper and editorial stuff from when I was an editor that I would definitely recommend. But if you're starting out or if you don't know where to start on a project or if you are stuck on a chapter or whatever, the best thing I can tell to say to myself and tell to anyone is that you just have to do it. Like you're not ever gonna get over that writer's block or you're not ever gonna know whether or not you could write this book or you're not gonna figure out what's wrong with that chapter until you put pen to paper, until you put mm. words on a page. It's, it's in your head. The thing that's wrong is in your head. The only mm. way to break through that is words on a page. Oh, 100%. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I just very strongly believe that I have a lot of friends who will say, I go for a walk or I'll listen to music or I'll just wait till it passes and say, absolutely fucking not. And I don't know <laughs> if it's just me. And like, I grew up with a very strong work ethic. I grew up in a mining village in the south of Yorkshire and everybody in my family worked and like everyone had a job. Um, so to me, I already feel like I'm cheating by not having a proper job. Um, <laughs> it is a proper but, job. <laughs> right, but it's not down the mines, is it? It's not down no, the mines. That's true, that's um, true. But I just think the way I have always gotten over any issue, any major issue is to just confront it and do it, which is not true in my real life. I am the least confrontational person in the entire world, so that's fine. <laughs> but on the page, like you've just got to do it. It does not matter if you delete it all two days yeah. later. It does not matter if in your next edit, you go back and say, this was the worst thing that anyone's ever written. Because yep. the fact is it's done and you're over and you're past it. Yeah, I, I mean, and funny I enough, just I've, think it's so valuable. I've got a good example for you of this. So I've just finished writing my second book, which is called Chasing the Light. And you know, when you're writing and it's just not flowing, it's not yep. flowing and it's the reason it's not flowing and you know, can call it writer's block, whatever you want, but it's because there's something wrong. And yeah, yep. you know, so I just wrote through, like there were days, like six hour days, I'm sitting in front of the computer where all I got down were 500 words because it felt like I was trudging yeah. through molasses because something was yes. wrong. I couldn't figure out what it was. And then you break through and you're like, 
ah, okay, you know, and you delete most of what I, mean, I think yeah. I deleted like twenty thousand <laughs> words um, easily. And, yeah, yeah, and then and then the other day, like towards the end of the book, I finished it now, but I wrote six thousand words in one day because it was just flowing. Because it's there. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I think that's such a valuable valuable lesson as well is not being afraid to cut. I mean, you can cut it and put it in another document and save it if that makes you feel better. But I'm I'm writing my first um, YA right now, my first YA um, paranormal romance, we used to call it. Mm. Um, and the first draft was so long and meaty because it's fantasy and you're world building and there's too much. Um, and we cut like the first three chapters, the whole, they're just gone. And then once I'd done that, once I had mentally, and it took me about a week to do it, which is so mm. stupid. I just kept opening the document and working on it and writing it and maybe I can change this. And I lost a week because all I had to do was cut it mm. and I couldn't bring myself to do it. And once I'd cut that, I made like, I, it was savage. I Edward Scissorhands that book. Like it just <laughs> was a different book by the end of that day. And like you say, then it just all starts to flow because it starts to fall into place. And you just can't be afraid to get into it. Like you've got to write, we've got to put the words on the page. You've got to be prepared to then cut those words. Like kill your darlings is advice for a reason. Like save it, use it another time. If it's that good of a line and you know, not to get into my other favorite subject of all time, which is quoting our Lord and savior Taylor Swift. Like when you <laughs> listen to the original version of All Too Well, which I think is a masterpiece of songwriting, regardless of how you feel about it, I will never write a line as good as you called me up again to break me like a promise so casually cruel in the name of being honest. That's mm. beautiful. But at the same time, she didn't, she saved the line. There was another line that's in the extended version of that song that came out like 10 years later, which is, um, I kept you like, a, you kept me like a secret and I kept you like an oath. And it's like, oh mm. my God, it's such a that's, beautiful evocative yeah. line. Yeah. And yeah. she, she cut it because she knew it was, it made the song too long. So mm. she cut it. And that, stupid as it sounds, like really helps me just shred a book. I'm like, that might be the best line I've ever written. I might be like, look at that. I'm bloody good. <laughs> and then you're like, but if it isn't moving the story forward and it isn't helping the book, cut it, save it. Yeah. That's for Savannah the Taylor Red Taylor's Swift version. Method. I like it. Write the Taylor Swift method. Save it mm. for Taylor's version 10 years from now when you're a bazillionaire and do whatever the fuck you want. Um, you know, how many books can you think of that are by successful authors that are bloated because they didn't self-edit and their editor was too afraid to tell them or their editor, or they didn't want to listen to their editor. Pretty much all of them, cutting. to be honest. So many, <laughs> so many. Infinite um, Chest comes to mind. I mean, not. there's a lot of children's books about wizards. Uh, mm. the, the later books in those series, I won't mention names because... Um, well, publishing sort of... Uh, the wrong way around, cut, isn't it? Because cut, cut, early cut. early authors are are told to cut too much, I think, by editors because they they want they want smaller books. Because the trend now, for very many reasons, is to have smaller and smaller fantasies, which I yeah. think is a real problem. So when you have no voice, you're told to cut too much, and then when you have a yeah. voice, you can do what you want. No one tells you to cut, and then you yeah. you get bloated. So it's like the yeah. complete opposite way around. I know it's scary. And I think it's that, the, you know, the trap of success as well. You think you're, you think you know better. You think that every word you've written is, is utterly precious and important. And actually like there's so many books that would have been better with, and this is me with my editor head on from when I was a, an editor. It's like, it just needed one good edit to just mm. clean it up and tighten it. And I always think of editing as like, 
make carving a sculpture you know like you start out with your lump of clay and this is obviously i did not make this up this is a very famous analogy so it's like you either start with a lump of clay or a piece of rock and you're carving it and carving it and carving it and your first pass is like the basic shape and then you're putting in all the features and like you know when it's done Mm. and you know when it isn't and like there's always a danger of going too far and that's why you have an editor is someone to say it's done because you might not know but if it's still just a great big lump of bloody clay like it's not enough (laughs) it Mm. needed another go but yeah don't be afraid to no also like when people say to me oh I don't know what to write I don't know what to start it's like well no one's reading it who are you afraid of upsetting it's your internal critic no one no one is going to see it you're the only one that's going to see it and you have to be your own biggest cheerleader you have to really believe in what you're doing because so many people are going to tell you that you don't know what you're doing like I Heart New York my first book was passed on by every agent in London every agency every single one and they all told me it wasn't the right time it wasn't enough of a plot like they didn't get it there wasn't enough of an antagonist you needed a villain because everyone was riding high on devil wears prada and a lot of people were like where's the miranda Priestley?" i'm like well it's a different book um (laughs) but there's so many people who are going to tell you that you're wrong you have to really want to advocate for yourself and cheer for yourself uh and if you're just if you're too scared to get into it on your own it is going to be an uphill struggle when an editor gets their hands on it and sends back your first edit letter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so really, you just can't be scared of it. You can't be afraid of it. Words on, Get your words on the page and then don't be afraid to delete those words. Contradictory mm. advice coming to you live from Lindsay Kelk. <laughs> it's good <laughs> advice. It's really good advice. Yeah. Um, so you, let's talk about sex scenes for a second because you don't, you don't really have a lot of spice in your books, do you? It's it's come and it's <laughs> oh my god I was like it comes and goes I'm so sorry I'm so sorry that truly was not on purpose but, uh, I play Med for that I play Med I, I love terrible it. influence I'm here for it terrible I'm influence. here for it um, ten yeah, out of ten the, the, thank you thank you I do try um, <laughs> the earlier the earlier books were definitely spicier mm. um, and then. The stories I was telling, it just didn't seem as relevant hmm. to me. Um, yeah. I'm not afraid. Like Love Me Do actually has a pretty intense, not intense, because it's not, people are like, is it open door? How many chili peppers? I'm like, I oh, God, I, I know. The I can't chili peppers. my own book in chili peppers. <laughs> it took me a month. Like, is, is that an answer? Oh. Like, I slaved over it for a month. Is that, it's that many chili peppers. Um, oh. But like the but the sex scene in that book is super relevant to the story because we're dealing with a character who is sort of overcoming um, issues of self worth and self value mm. and and rediscovering her own um, not not her sexuality rediscovering love her of value self. yeah and love of self yeah and your sexuality is is intrinsically connected to that so it's you know her accessing that part of her self again that she'd shut down for so long so it felt really important to me to show that and to show it from her perspective and to show her in charge of it and making the choices Mm. um but I'm just not someone says Nana who (laughs) necessarily needs a super graphic sex scene in a rom-com because I'm in it for the rom and the com yeah. And not the insertion of body parts. Well, that's and the thing, like, it can work and it can be really sexy and it can elevate the tension. But I think there is a trend right now to just go into like an eight page ultra graphic 
hardcore scene that would have been erotica 10 years well, ago. And, and there's some books like that I read and I'm like enjoying the story and then suddenly, wham, sex scene. And yeah. Like, um, don't get me wrong, I love a good sex scene, but um, sometimes it pulls you out of the story. So, I mean, sp yes. specifically talking yeah. to Allie, Allie Hazelwood, I was reading one of her books, um, and it just didn't feel right for the characters. Um, it's such an interesting choice. I think Allie Hazelwood is a, an author that comes up a lot when I have these conversations with people. Um, Tessa Bailey as well um, mm. is an author who I, I, I really enjoy her writing. I'm like, oh, it's so fun. This And the covers are such, like cute little <laughs> illustrated rom-com <laughs> covers and, and then, then you bang. open a random page and they're yeah. like talking about rimming and yeah. I'm like well that's bold isn't it that's yeah. bold um didn't see that coming for want of a, another pun but I I, I don't need it and that's not to say that other people don't but again I think this goes back to the idea that Gen Z were living in their homes and not out yeah. experiencing life and they were looking for this, you know, well, I was staying up Titillation. trying to yeah. catch a sex scene on a Channel 4 movie, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, to be like, oh, yeah. look at that. Um, they they want these books. That's how they're going to experience these things because they weren't yeah. able to actually have physical in-person interactions. God knows what we were all doing between 17 and 20. Like, I dread to think. Um, but it wasn't sat reading those books at home. I was out well, you were, drunk in well, I'm not saying. I'm not saying... I'm not saying <laughs> I'm not saying you were doing this, but like everyone was out having sex, so they didn't need to read about having sex. Whereas now everyone's just been indoors for five years. Yeah, you know, and you read all those stats die, about so. Gen Z, right? And I'm like, well, I might die. I'll read this book about pegging. Um, but you read all these stats. <laughs> Pretty much. That like the younger generation, like Gen Z and younger millennials, are having far less sex than the generations before them. Yeah, like, that's actively, a mistake. That's a real mistake, <laughs> right? Like, I remember seeing a comedian once. I remember I saw a comedian in Brooklyn. This guy was like, "We need to f bring back finger banging." Like, what happened to finger banging? And it's just like, yeah, there's no that you, nobody gets fingered under the slide anymore, do they? In the local park, it's just no. you literally progress from like absolutely nothing to going on I Twitter know. and seeing hardcore porn, and then I again know. reading about pegging. And not, so, they're not drinking either, you know. So. And they're not drinking, which maybe that's maybe that's good for them. <laughs> I don't know. I can't speak to it as someone that consumed a lot of bottles of Bacardi Breeza um, as a teenager. Yeah, but yeah. I, I do think it's fascinating that, that the trend is there for it to be very, very graphic and explicit. Mm. And it is being driven by this very young, um, age, this young readership. I went to a, an event in LA at The Ripped Bodice, which is a romance-only bookstore in LA, which is fantastic. Um, and they had an event last year for Elena Armas, who wrote Spanish uh, Love Deception and American Roommate Experiment. And I love Elena. I'm doing an event with her in London. She's just so much fun. She's so smart. She's so mm. clever. Um, and everyone in that room, it was sold out. It was So this is how packed it was. It was sold out on a Friday night in LA, in West LA, and it was tipping it down with rain. And me and my friend were driving there and it's like, no one leaves their house in LA when it rains. No one goes anywhere when it rains. Friday night is the worst night to do any kind of event because no one's going to go. And West LA is kind of a no man's land. So it's like, well, who's going to be there? And we got there and it was standing room only. And all of the people there, I would say were under 25, if not under 22, they were so mm -hmm. young. And they were treating her like Taylor Swift. Like they, like she was their goddess. And they were obsessed with her. Um, and I just thought that was absolutely fascinating. When you look at the books she writes, they are just very classic 
trope laden like absolutely like you can her new book is out in september and if you go online and like you can see a list of like every trope that's in the book you can kind of plot out what's i mean that's a talent that's a talent all of them in there (laughs) that you i know right it's amazing that's a strange new thing isn't it this sort of obsession with tropes i mean to be to be clear i remember seeing a, a tweet that said it don't it's not the tropes fault. Every book has to have tropes. You, you can't have a yeah. book without tropes. That's an essential yeah. part of the book. But the weird thing is how they're kind of sort of <laughs> obsessed over and listed. And look, I, I do it myself. You know, fantasy is all about, you know, found family or et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But there does seem to be a kind of a, a tick boxing obsession. I'm going to sound like a yeah. grumpy old man now, but is, is no, that No, right? no, I agree <laughs> completely. And it's definitely a bookstagram thing. It's a book talk thing because it's, the quickest way to inform people because obviously mm. our attention span is uh, roughly 0.3 seconds long now um so it's like how quickly Falling can rapidly. i communicate <laughs> to you what this book is about which is why the chili peppers you know i don't even have to yeah. say i can just put chili pepper icons up i can list tropes and i can tell you exactly what this book is but at the same time and my publisher's done it they did a trope thing for love me do and they kept asking me like what are the tropes what are the tropes and i'm like i don't know because i didn't write to tropes i wrote I know, yeah. what i thought was this really meaningful rom-com that was a gender reverser <laughs> and they went through and they were like so these are the tropes i'm like great thanks but um, isn't it funny how it's easier for other people to identify yes. than, than yourself because yeah. i'm absolutely I've, I've found the and same it should thing. be like yeah. that's their job like that's fine your job is to write the best book you can do i can't write to order if they said write a fake dating just one bed sunshine grumpy Wrong. I couldn't do it because I'm like, well, I, that's that's prescriptive to me, and that's not how I write. But while a list of tropes and a number of chili peppers can tell you everything about a book, it also tells you nothing about a book. You know, it doesn't tell you the heart and the the characters and their motivations and why they're doing the things they're doing and who they are and what their lives were. Um, yeah. So I would definitely say that. I mean, that is writing advice too. Is write write what you feel. Like, mm. don't try and write. A prescription and, and never try and jump on a trend because by the time it's written it's too late you'll never get there like you cannot jump on a trend so when when my first book came out you know it's a rock star romance and i'm looking looking around mm-hmm. i'm like shit nobody's doing rock star romances everybody's enemies to lovers yeah and it's just like <laughs> <laughs> shit <laughs> but also like you can't go online and look i would also say you know be online if that's something you're doing already but don't go online looking for answers because i was scrolling through tiktok the other day and one girl who is huge on book talk was like enemies to lovers is the worst trope ever i hate it i would never ever ever read an enemies to lovers romance and then the very <laughs> next video was like enemies to lovers the superior trope fight me about it and i was just like oh my god like and i had to put my phone in the other room gotta respect like, that you gotta yeah. respect that <laughs> I know, and I'm like, oh, no she one knows what she's what doing. doing, right? It's like just write what write what keeps you up at night, write what is in your heart and what you care about. Because writing about something you don't care about is torture. It yeah. is just asking for trouble. I mean, you guys, I'm sure you both know that. Like trying to mm. write something that when your heart's not in it is just brutal. No, no point in it. I have a funny story. So with uh with my book, I have two chili peppers on the first book. And, um, you know, I have my because I was thinking my my dad is going to read this. And (laughs) I don't think there's any worse feeling for an author of romantic books than thinking about relatives reading a sex scene that you've written. You know, it's actually it already (laughs) happened to me once when I was younger, but that's another story. Um, Mm -hmm. And 
Yeah, I was talking to him about the second book. I said, oh, Dad, I think I've put one more page of spice in this one. He's like, oh, good. There was there was not enough spice in the last one. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, Dad, you too. <laughs> I know that we might be a bit Freudian. Dad. Yeah, Dad Dad wanted a bit more spice. So we love Merry it. Christmas, we love Dad. It. Merry Christmas. <laughs> we stand a supportive king. Exactly. <laughs> That's what we say. Oh. <laughs> I love it. This spice scale, do they sort of, um, do they drill down on a, on a bit? Do you have to sort of list the spices? Do you have like the really good ones like, you know, um, paprika or jalapeno? And then you sort of get no, like, at the bottom, you get peppers. like dill or rosemary and thyme, which is just Currently, people sitting just in the garden peppers. talking. Well, this is it. Because yeah. I would say my books are not without seasoning. You know, yeah. like there's sometimes there's like a really heavy grind of black pepper in there. Bit of oregano uh, in there. Right. And, and what that does is elevate the dish. But yeah. sometimes you put in too much spice and it overpowers the dish. And yep. that's what I find with some of those books where mm. it is just straight into hardcore <laughs> penetration. <laughs> like, oh, I mean, it would have been nice to get to know him a bit before, but all right. Like, I don't need to know this character, I guess. I mean, unless it's a really great book about, like, um, <laughs> I was going to say something really terrible, uh, but that erotica that was going around about the woman that worked at the uh, Minotaur milking. Oh, farm. yes. Oh, that came yeah. up on, we were on us. Uh, podcast, it was on our Christmas our, episode. Yeah. Our good friends at um, SFF come. Yeah. Romcast. Romcast. Awesome podcast, SFF Roncast. Um, and they were talking about that, this minor milking thing. In fact, I yeah. think they told I to read it. I read that in about four minutes and I was like, no notes, perfect. <laughs> but you knew exactly what you were getting when you went in. Like there was no debate on what that book was about. It is what it is. And it's actually really well written. And I meant, I was going to try and find out who wrote it because I'm like, oh, whoever wrote this, like they are, they're writing all the time because this is very well written. Um, well, again, you know, you find very well written stuff, and it's hard to do yeah. comedy and all these things, but yeah. it will probably, you know, get overlooked by, by the Pulitzer Prize, you know. Because, I mean, yeah, because a woman has sex with a minotaur. <laughs> but I honestly was like, this is this is magical. This is perfect. This is exactly what it says on the tin. I am not shocked, and it's not one of these super cute looking rom coms with a little illustrator cover where i'm like oh cute this looks like a nice fun summer read and again <laughs> straight into rimming um yeah. i i anticipated that with the minotaur and i was fine with it um, <laughs> and that's where you want five peppers that's a vindaloo you know like yeah. that should have as many peppers in it as you can possibly get in it uh some books all they need is a little bit of seasoning yep well you heard it here first listeners <laughs> <laughs> Everyone hates me now. They're like, no, five chili peppers and everything. I know what's missing from Pride and Prejudice. It's like Darcy bending her over the table and giving her no. a good scene to. Oh, like, well, I'm sure someone's written that. Oh, sure I know it's on AO3. That. I mean, yeah. it's definitely already on Wattpad. So yeah, yeah, fill yeah. your boots. Fill your boots, no kids. Doubt. <laughs> cool. Well, uh, I think we'll draw it to a close there. And uh... <laughs> <laughs> I think we should. I think we should. The Spice Chat. Green Tabasco, yeah. not red Tabasco. That's that's all. <laughs> yeah. No, but I love it. Thank you so much for for chatting with us. That is uh, fantastic. And now, uh, listeners, you need to tune in on Friday because Lindsay is doing a quiz for us as well. So, uh, oh, so definitely... give us give us a clue. What is a quiz about? Would you believe it's about rom coms? <gasps> Never. There you go. Would you believe it? Never. <laughs> 
I was hoping it's going to be about rimming after that conversation, but sadly. I mean, oh. it's not not about rimming. <laughs> it's not, it's not what I say about okay. It's what I say about everything in life. You know? Yeah. I, what I should we really book about, Lindsay? It's not, not about it's rimming. It's not, not about rimming. If you look for it, it's everywhere. I would just say. The I Heart series <laughs> is not not about rimming. We're saying the quiet part loud. That's the thing. You know? You've yeah. just got to know. You've got to know where to look. Read between well, the lines. How loud is rimming? I don't know. I've never, never done it. <laughs> <laughs> Can't imagine it's a loud activity. But again, I'm a writer. I should be able to work it out. We make things up for a living, literally. Please, please so. leave this in, Jeremy. Please leave this in. <laughs> <laughs> how loud is rimming? I mean, I'm just hearing it to the tune of how soon is now, and I, my day's <laughs> over now. My day's over. <laughs> there you go. That's it. Here one for you. Well, you know, I, I expect you to tell people this was your favourite podcast to record this year, Lindsay. So. I mean, definitely my favourite podcast to record this year about rimming. If that yeah. helps. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Okay. Well, we'll leave it there now. Okay. And uh, and yeah, <laughs> see you all on Friday for the quiz. Bye. Two Lit Chicks is a podcast about books that change lives. Find us on all major podcast platforms or go to our website at twolitchicks.org. Thanks for listening. <laughs>